Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kakovich and Leon Wigard. G'day, Sam, how are you? I'm fantastic, Leon. Fantastic. Busy, but fantastic. Been a very ordinary week. Uh, Graham Arthur, one of our Vang Sang members and the inaugural captain of the uh, Hawthorne Premierships, uh, I suppose, what, what, what have they won since? Anyway, he was the captain of the first one. Inaugural, yeah. And a lovely, uh, lovely man. And we lost Colin McDonald, the uh, opening test, uh, test opening batsman. Two sporting icons of Australian, uh, the landscape of Australian sport. Mm. And as you rightfully alluded to, Graham Arthur was uh, a much loved Van Sank member. And of course, Colin McDonald, gee, remember in the 60s, uh, used to open the batting against the, uh, the hostile West Indian attack. Uh, Graham Arthur, uh, of course, a Bendigo boy and a great mate of. Uh, of uh, our host, Jerry uh, Ryan. Our host, Jerry Ryan from the Prince Hotel. Uh, from which we're broadcasting today, enjoying a... Well, are you on the print still, or are you... Uh... I've still got a little bit of print uh, left. Uh, as I talk, I've just had a... Uh, just a little bit of a sip of it now, uh, Leon, uh, but I'm rapidly running out. But I think our relationship with Jerry's fairly strong to be able to replenish stock. <laughs> but I might get you to do that initially, because I've been to the well three times. I'll be, see, I'll be seeing him tomorrow, as you will, so we look forward to that. It's a great pleasure now to introduce our guest today, and it um, uh, wasn't an appropriate day, the day after we <laughs> lost the unlosable test. Uh, the one and only Merv Hughes joins us on the program. Merv, thanks for being with us, and it's just a great joy to have you with, with us on Sport and Life. Leon, Sammy, how are you? Thanks for having us on, guys. And we, we didn't actually lose the unlosable, we drew the unlosable. Oh, yeah. Well, it was almost a loss in real terms. <laughs> no, it was nowhere near well, a loss. Well, psychologically, actually, psychologically India, it is a loss. India India did a fantastic job. I don't think anyone rated their chances in surviving the day, but um, they got through it and their their squad was injury-plagued. So um, it, was a, it was a bloody good effort yesterday from the Indians. Yeah, I'll take your point too. It wasn't a, it wasn't a loss. Did it you say a... we've got Merv Hughes on? Yeah. When have you ever known Merv Hughes to be conciliatory... Or you know, <laughs> you reckon it's a bloke's impersonator? Oh, it's so it's that's not him. <laughs> just just check he the number when you're down. We might Dan, have the wrong just check it. We got Merv Hughes. <laughs> just the same Dan Hughes. Just the one that initiated even... sledging into Australian cricket. Just Sam, the same. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Conciliatory. What's that? <laughs> hey, talk, talk, talking about sledging, that came up yesterday with Tim Payne. I think that surprised a lot of people. Um, yeah, it is. He's uh, underneath. He's a he's a real fighter, and probably the game warranted it. Didn't it? It was at that time where could have gone either way. And um, oh, people don't understand what sledging is. They think it's an attack on the batsman, but what it is, it, it's a distraction. If you can distract the batsman and put him off his game, you get a wicket, and, and that's what it's about. And what by oh, personally vilifying him, by calling him an Indian, uh, whatever he did, or. So you think that's like that's 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 a ploy? Do you think? Oh, it is a ploy. There's no doubt about that, mate. In, in football, and you played a lot of football, Sam, where you could physically intimidate the opposition. In cricket, you can't do that. So if you can verbally intimidate them and, and verbally distract them, then you know it's mate. In this day, well, I tried age, once. I called uh, Carl Dittrich a German, and you would understand <laughs> this. In this day and age of politically correctness, you can't say boo anymore. So obviously, that's going to be frowned upon. But uh, I, I saw that yesterday and thought there was nothing wrong with it. Probably the only thing wrong with it was that he didn't back it up with the, the catch. So he did his job, got him distracted, 
um, got the catch a couple of overs later and, and put it down. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people get into him about that, but if, if you're going to bark, you've got to be able to bite, don't you? Yes, didn't, didn't complete the job. By the way, the, the sledging manual was written by Slug Jordan. Uh, yes, it was slug. Forward by Matthews. We've all come across slugging our day, and <laughs> mate, he was he was the best at it, wasn't he? He stood behind the stumps and never shut up, sluggy. But uh, yeah, great man, slug Jordan. Now I, I understand it is true that he actually did get us something once with his hands. <laughs> Because most of them were with his knees. <laughs> the ball was nowhere near oh, no, no, don't, don't bring Slug into this repute. Well, he was a legend. The batsmen the in those days Victoria. didn't wear helmets, they wore earmuffs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, he, well, he's another of the old Vang Seng guys and uh, uh, sorely missed, I can tell you, old Slug. Uh, in fact, I went to a funeral yesterday just up past his place in uh, Doncaster. Doncaster. And I, I gave a little thought to Slug as I drove past his street. The Slug Council stuff. Street he lived in. Now, Merv, uh, let's go back to the early days. I always remember talking to you, and still there's something indelibly always sticks in your mind, doesn't it? That first report card, was it your first report card or one of the later report cards that you got from your teacher? Oh, late, later report card, Sam. Um, that was form, form five when I was at school. I think it's year 11 now. Now, this is a beauty. This is for the um, archives. I'm not, I'm not sure whether you're talking about that one or my science one. I'm, I'm not sure whether no, you're No, the one the teacher said, no. Well, tell, them, tell us both. Well, science, uh, my second term science report read, just bearing in mind we have to hand in 10 assignments each term. My second term science report read, Mervyn has done very little work, handed in no assignments, and in block letters had, and is potentially dangerous in the laboratory. <laughs> so that, that was one, and the other one was more... No, this is the better one, this is the better one. I've taken a week off to play... play um, Cricket, so Country Week Cricket was in February and the, obviously the school year started and got back to school the, the following week and Mrs Ratnick, our geography teacher, called me up the front, where were you last week? Well, it's playing cricket. So what? So Country Week Cricket, I explained the, the concept of Country Week Cricket to her and she found a bit and looked at me and said, Mr Hughes, when you leave school you'll have to be a very good footballer or a very, very good cricketer to make it anywhere in life. And, yeah, <laughs> life, life, life turned out okay, Sammy. Yeah, it did. You sent her a little note, no doubt, afterwards. <laughs> oh, mate, you used to drop From Lord's. every now and then. She wasn't, she wasn't too pleased to see me. Hey, just uh, taking your education and where you went and uh, the fact that you're better known as a cricketer rather than a footballer, did you ever consider, though, uh, in your days at uh, Werribee, uh, you know, making football your number one choice? Um, yeah, I suppose at, at sort of 16, 17, 18, I was, I was playing in the old BFA back then, Leon, and uh, playing for, for Werribee, and in those days it was the zoning, not the draft as it is today, and living in Werribee, zoned to Geelong, got the invitation down to Geelong as a, I think as an 18-year-old and um, did a pre-season down at Geelong, but uh, it didn't pan out. So I got down there probably October, I reckon, um, did a couple of weeks, and then I got a, a broken cheekbone playing um, basketball, and then uh, they broke for their Christmas break, Geelong, and then um, after, well, early in that uh, new year, um, I, I got selected to play for Victoria and I, fe- I found out later that it was a bit of a ploy to keep guys from going over to football so there was a few of us that were picked before we were ready and Jamie Siddons, Simon O'Donnell come to mind, Tony Dottomay, Damien Fleming, Shane Warne um, to, to keep us at um, at cricket and, and not let us go across the football so I'd, I thought I got uh, picked for Victoria on merit and apparently 50-50 on merit and, and it stopped me from crossing over to footy and Merv, uh, you saw a fair bit of the state because your father, you know, he was a school principal, so 
you weren't actually, you know, we make mockery of you, but you weren't actually bereft of uh, uh, a modicum of academia. Uh, you're a lot smarter. Than you. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said, Sam. <laughs> what I'm saying is you're a lot smarter. You're a lot smarter than you portray. <laughs> but yeah, you- no, Dad, Dad was a school teacher, so uh, born North East Victoria, up at Yarrawa. He was at um, Batagini, so a little little place. Between, I know Batagini. Uh, uh, between Benalla and, and Yarrawa there, and then um, shifted down to Apollo Bay. Um, spent a couple of years down here, back to Yarrawa, so mum was a Yarrawa girl, so I went back there and then um, we went to Werribee for the first time, I reckon, early 70s. Um, and then, yeah, just back up to Violet Town for a year, back to Werribee, up to Myrtleford, so you were all stomping ground, Sam, so I had a, had a couple of years up there when Dad was principal at the Myrtleford Primary School, but, but I just call Werribee home, um, so that was probably where where I grew up and and most of well I went to I spent most of the time at Werribee going to school there now uh, one other thing we share in common uh, not that I want to make this public but I thought well we've got to be fair uh, we've fair to say that we've been plagued by weight problems throughout our careers uh, is it true you busted a set of scales once oh well yeah well Mate, as you know, the fat kid always gets picked on, doesn't he, Sam? I know um, that, mate. That's so like... we were in, in New Zealand on a tour and they, they brought in this thing that they were, they're going to weigh us and if we were overweight, so they weighed us um, before we go on tour if you put on any weight. So back then, and we weren't earning that much, so when, when they're earning as much as they do now, $1,000 a kilo doesn't doesn't sound too much, but when you're earning about 10k a year, $1,000, that's that's a fair whack. Yeah, I'll say. And... In, in New Zealand, we got over there and they said, right, guys, we're going to bring this in. And it was in, I reckon it was 89, so just before the Ashes tour. And they said, right, we're going to um, start weighing everyone and, and there's going to be penalties for people. So they pull out the scales and apparently it was a, a honky-dory water, water-based scale set um, from Germany. So it was pretty valuable. And they look around the room and, of course, they first go to the fat kid, don't they? Jump on the scales. <laughs> oh, what's going on here? That's part of your contract. You've got to jump on the scales. And I just said, you want me to jump on the scales? I said, yeah, we do. So I took about a five-step run-up and jumped on the scales and they just disintegrated. Rated, and that's the last we had heard of Wayne's. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty funny too until I found out I had to pay for the scales. Man. <laughs> pretty, pretty pricey. Now, sometimes we take it for granted, you know, because you are the, uh, uh, you know, you're, the, you're that great individual that's the uh, that sort of lifts everyone's spirits, and you're the uh, joker of the mob. But people sometimes overlook Leon. He played 200. He took 212 wickets over 53 tests. Uh, 38 one-day individuals. It, you know, it, it took him at 28, roughly 27, 28 average. So he's a a very well credentialed Test cricketer. Test match hat trick. Exactly. Yeah, I saw that. I don't. I think I saw that not long ago on a replay of Fox. Oh, you get lucky, don't you? Um, yeah, I, I suppose. I'd- Probably through through my career, I was always seen as that that character and good bloke, and um, that's what I say to people now: is you don't you don't get picked in a side because you're a good character and, and you're a good bloke. You get you get picked on performance, and certainly early days in the Australian team, and I can understand how how guys when they first get into um, that level um, struggle a bit with everything. I suppose a lot of it's anxiety, a lot of it's nerves, a lot of it's um, expectation. 
and when you don't do well, it, yeah, it sort of really hits home. And um, when you're representing Australia, there's there's not too many people that let it slide. Um, if you have a bad day on, on the ground, um, everyone wants to remind you. But uh, the good with that is if you have a good day, um, people are patting you on the back. So take the good with the bad. But uh, early on, um, certainly I, I found it tough. But um, as... As I went through, just to have great leadership, Alan Border and, and Bobby Simpson were, were fantastic as captain and coach. We had a bloke by the name of Laurie Sewell, who was chairman of selectors, who was um, really, really caring, thoughtful sort of a bloke, and you could sort of talk to him about anything, and he was an absolute ripper. Um, and we just had we just had good leadership, um, which which made life a lot easier. You're on Sport and Life. Our guest today is Merv Hughes, and Merv... I, I don't know when I when I was a lad listening to the cricket on the radio, and you know enthralled like all Australian kids were, with the Australian team touring England, it seemed to me that the cricketers themselves were the same. They just wanted to go on those uh, uh, tours of England, uh, of, of Britain, I guess, because you played in other places. Uh, were you that type of, of kid that wanted to go to England and? Uh, Try yourself out oh, Yeah, growing up, I mean, geez, during the during the winter, you you're always your favourite AFL. Well, back then the VFL player, and and during the the cricket season, just playing backyard cricket or cricket in the park, you, you always dreamed of playing for Australia. And who was your hero? Who was your hero? History and tradition tells us that the England Australia rivalry um, is is very high. And you know, there's one thing that you learn early doors. Uh, playing cricket, test cricket for Australia is that we can accept defeat from anyone except England. But if we get beaten by Bangladesh or Sri Lanka or you know India, everyone says, "Oh, yeah, that's okay." But you get beaten by England, that's <laughs> no, that's that's just not okay. So um, the the pressure on. I, I suppose our view is very similar to New Zealand against Australia. Um, we're we're sort of a big brother to to New Zealand, and and they they like flexing muscles against us and. Um, I suppose England was was our team um, in my time in the Australian team. That um, you know, when the Ashes series was was coming up, uh, you just felt a, a little bit more of a tingle and, and a little bit more of a, I suppose, a responsibility to win. Can I just offset you a bit by uh, getting away from Test cricket for a moment to go back to your core senior um, days and, in fact, District cricket where you played so well. For, in fact, so well did you play at Footscray that they've named their new oval after you. So uh, you did have a great career with Footscray. And I, I, I checked up on the test players that have, have come out of uh, Footscray Cricket Club and they include Ron Gaunt, who, by the way, was uh, a member of the, the Eastern Golf Club. Pappy. Uh, yeah, Pappy, yeah. yeah Pappy. Pappy Gaunt. Yeah, so he, he, when, when he came across from West Australia, he played for, for Footscray. Um, and when I got down there in 1978, Ronnie Gaunt was the bowling coach. And, and I left Werribee sub-district cricket as uh, a middle-order batsman, part-time bowler. Got down to Footscray, my first night at Footscray. I remember having a talk to the coach, um, the president, the seconds captain, and Ronnie Gaunt, who was who was the bowling coach. And they said, what do you do? I said, oh, you know, just uh, bat and bowl a bit. And they threw me a ball and said, right, have a bowl in this net. I reckon I bowled three balls and Ronnie Gaunt came across and said mate you're not a batsman anymore you're a bowler and um, they just made a decision for me so uh, probably the best best decision that I made in my career was being told what to do uh, the other the other two um, I'm going in order it must be in order of when they were selected for Victoria but uh, Les Joslin of course and he had he had a brother yeah. Graham 
uh, who Graham did a lot of other stuff around the club as well as being a fine player. But Les, of course, had a relatively short time with the Victorian team, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I think he got out of... Um, back then it wasn't financial. And I think he... Um, he went off and, and coached, I reckon it was St. Bernard's in the BTCA. Um, his, his, uh, my understanding was he, he went back there and coached and um, was financially rewarded for that. Um, so he had a young family and it's not too different to what blokes do today. As, as they get older, they, they get married, they get a house and, and they have a couple of kids. They, they tend to go um, and, and pro- probably um, look, look to financially set themselves up and there's there's been a, a lot of guys that do it and for Les um, he, he played test cricket at a very young age and you know you, you look at his Victorian career he wasn't there long and he wasn't at, at Footscray for long because I'm, I'm pretty sure it was St Bernard's he went to um, you'll remember all these guys Sam uh, Kenny Eastwood I think he only played the one yeah. test match but um uh, yeah, he was—he was the yeah, was was Yeah, he was the captain. He was the captain of the seconds in that group that I spoke about. And to go down to Footscray and, and get your way into the seconds, be, be captain by Kenny Eastwood, who played a lot of cricket. Well, he came down from New South Wales. I think he was in the RAF for um, from memory. Uh, came down from New South Wales, played a lot of cricket for Victoria, played the one Test match, and gee, to have him captain of, of Footscray seconds when I first went down there was just a godsend. Now, two blokes that really did play a lot of cricket at the very uh, top level were Alan Hurst and Ray Bright. Yeah. Um, Alan Hurst had left to go to North Melbourne by the time I got to Footscray, and, and Ray Bright was still there. Um, and I, like I said, I got down there in the 70s, and I played um, a year with him, and then he went to, I reckon, World Series cricket. Um, so he missed him for a while, and then he went across to Richmond. But having Ray Bright early in my my um, career at, at Footscray and early in my state career and he in fact played my, my first test match in Adelaide so having him there was was um, <laughs> it was just really settling I mean, uh, Just uh, three to go on this list apart from yourself of course Tony Dollamade was uh, uh, of course a tremendous all-rounder and uh, he, he played his fair share of games for, in the green and gold Yeah, yeah Outstanding player and now, great bloke too. Uh, John Hastings, big, strong, fast bowler. Yes, yeah, big Johnny. He came down from New South Wales and um, slotted into our, our side pretty pretty well, fantastically well, and um, played in a in a premiership for, for Footscray. Now the guy, the guy that I can't quite remember well enough is Colin Miller. I know him as a player and all that, but I, if he walked in here now, I, I couldn't recognise him. Fucking Oh, you would. He's a, he'd be the one with the blue hair. <laughs> That's funky, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So funky, funky was an, an outstanding all-rounder, and um, he was probably the, the first to change the game up because he, he used to open the bowl um, with the, the new ball, and then he'd bowl off spin, and he was a, a very handy lower-order batsman. So he was, he was probably the, the, the first to, when I say pinch hit, in the, in the bowling side of things, um, to bowl... Well, at Footscray, I remember him opening the bowling, uh, bowling his, his seven overs, opening spell, uh, maybe bowl a backup spell, and then he'd bowl 20 overs of off spin. And um, he was very capable of both. And uh, he, he left to go to um, Tasmania and South Australia. So um, he came back to Footscray in the end and won an Allen Border medal for, for the best player in the best, best test team at, at the time that he won it. Um, so he was an outstanding player. He was indeed. Uh, who was moved Hughes in the backyard cricket? 
Who were you? Uh, well, if, obviously Dennis Lilly. If I was Australia, if I was, if I was England, I was always Bob Willis. They were your heroes. Uh, yeah, I love, love Bobby Willis. Had a go, didn't he? And Dennis Lilly, Rod Marsh, Ian Chappell. Um, mate, if I batted, he used to have the collar up and chew on the gum and play the hook shot. 85-86, what are your memories of your first test, India? Oh, as I said, Sam, uh, a lot of people ask, can you ever forget your first test match? <laughs> and no matter how hard I try, Sam, I'll never forget my first test match. Um, one for 123 or 37 overs. I didn't want it look. Dark and two drop catches, mate. So I, didn't, I didn't want to raise the figures. <laughs> I didn't want to bring the statistics up. I just wonder how... How clear the memories were? Oh, mate, it was crystal clear. It's like it was yesterday. Um, so the, the the ride that you have, so I was in this in this train side for, for nine and a half years, and um, you, you know you just remember things so vividly, um, so clear, like it was yesterday. And uh, the the tours that we went on, the, the test matches that we won, um, you know the the blokes that we played with, you, you don't you don't have the opportunity to catch up all that much, but when you do. Um, it's like yesterday. You just you forget you forget your age and you you get caught up with it and the way you go. I tell you what, I'm going to balance this now because I'm going to take it to the '93 Ashes where you took. Uh, I think Craig McDermott might have been injured, so you were the spearhead of the Australian attack. And you took 31 wickets for that uh, yeah. wonderful Ashes victory. Oh, yeah, mate. Uh, 89, I'll, I'll take you back to 89. Before it was the worst side to ever leave our shores, they uh, said. 89 to be a, um, a younger member of that side and to have two blokes, um, Terry Alderman and Jeff Lawson, on that, that tour um, really, really helped me. Um, and then we get to 93 and roles were reversed. I was, I was one of the senior players, Craig McDermott, played the first test match and went down with a twisted bowel in the second test match. Um, you know, we, and we had we had a lot of talent on that that um, side. We had uh, Shane Warne that was um, on his first tour to England with the Australian side. Tim May did a great job. Paul Rifle, if you have a look at the stats, only played three tests but took 19 wickets. Brendan Julian uh, got a, got about 15 wickets. So uh, across the board, it was a pretty pretty even. Um, sort of performance from the side and you know we had Michael Slater come into the side we had Damien Martin and Matthew Hayden on the outer they didn't play a test match but they were just smashing county sides all over the place and we had Wayne Holsworth um, that <laughs> was uh, the quick from New South Wales that were it, it was just scaring blokes in when we played the county sides um, so uh, across the board and I, you reflect I reflect on the 89 and 93 tour and it, it wasn't the guys, and this is going to sound a bit rare, I suppose, but it wasn't the guys in the side that made it so strong. It was the guys that didn't get a game. I, I, I can rattle off the guys that, that didn't play a test match, and they were fantastic players. So everyone in the test side knew that if they didn't perform, um, they, they wouldn't be playing. Hey, tell me, Alan Border's nickname, or supposed nickname of Fruit Fly, that, that, that's news to me, and I, I've known Alan for many, many years. Uh, Fruit Fly being, of course, a national pest, but... Uh, are you familiar with that? No, no, that's a, that's a nickname he gave me. Uh, no, oh, but he, he gave yeah. Oh, right. Well, well that was wrong in the book, I read. Gave, well, I reckon five minutes into, into oh, my... Quite un- understandable. Uh, ...inside that Adelaide Test match. We can never it's figure that out. Well, how we could. You, 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 Hughes, are an absolute pest. <laughs> <laughs> Merv, tell me, uh, I remember vividly the 89 tour because it was labelled because before you left our shores as the worst Australian team to ever leave Australia. Yeah, ever represent Australia. So that must have been a great deal of motivation, incentive. 
Um, yeah, I, I suppose the reasons for, for that was um, World Series cricket um, took away a lot of our, our better players. And then when Australia started to recover from that, we lost 17, 18 of our more experienced and better players to that Rebel Tour of South Africa, and that was 85. Um, and from 85 to 94... We weren't having too much success. We had a, had a young side. Alan Border was thrust in as captain, um, and Bob Simpson started as coach in 85. But um, four years together, we started to get a, a little bit of belief in each other. And when we went to across to England, what, what happened was uh, the guys that went to South Africa, their suspensions had finished. So we got Terry Alderman back that was pretty handy took, in 89, took a heap of wickets. Carl Rackerman and Trevor Haynes, a leg spinner, and, and Trevor Haynes um, on that tour was, was outstanding. Um, I, I reckon he took about 20 wickets, but we just had that, that experience come in to, to blend in with the, the youth, youth and talent that we had, and, and Steve Waugh and Mark Taylor on, on that tour. Um, were superb, especially Steve Waugh. They never looked like getting him out. But um, Alan Border, um, yeah, from from within for that four years, people people thought that was the the moment that we just turned it around. But it was a, a build up of four years. So just getting players ready, um, you know, sorting out who who was capable, who wasn't. There was there was a lot of mixing and matching, and a, a lot of ins and outs in that time. Um, and Bob Simpson, Alan Border, and Lois Sewell just built a team, and it started to show or pay dividends in the '87 World Cup on the Southern Continent. The Australians won that, and then um, it, it came into the, the Test cricket. So it was a it was a slow build up, but in the end, we we got there. I think uh, when I look around and I've got Sam opposite me, I, we've got you online, and I know in my own case. We were brought up in a time where sport was taken very, very seriously and we trained as hard as we could, but there was a certain uh, social element that we didn't miss. Uh, we, we, Any time there was a chance to have a beer uh, or to gather together as a group, we'd be there. And uh, it brings me around to whether you think David Boone was in fact out or not out after 52 cans on the way to England. 54. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate, there's, there's, there's some records that will never be broken. Uh, but, yeah, listen, I've been, yeah, as you say, we, we did have um, a really social element. And it's not to say that the players now don't have it, Leon, it's that they just keep it a little bit more quiet. So they, they have private functions and, you know, the boys enjoy a beer. And, but, uh, but semi-professional, so virtually amateur when I started into semi-professional to, to fully professional now, I see it as a career, um, so it's it's a little bit of a, a, a I suppose, a, an attitude adjustment to it. But um, we, we were, uh, I think, I speak on behalf of the three of us. We'll we'll knock about blokes that, that had a good time. But if if you needed to be fair thinking about your training or, or your playing, that you got off, off your backside and did something, didn't you? So, mate, it's not as though I went through and, and didn't train and just partied all the time. I, mate, I just prided myself on, on being the hardest trainer. Um, and you know, people say, how do you keep going at, at half past five in the afternoon when it's stinking hot? Well, you, you don't do that if you don't prepare yourself. Merv, uh, upon arriving in the old dart, one of the uh, first commitments uh, the Australians have, of course, is uh, going to Buckingham Palace. Now, were you acquainted with the protocols necessary to meet the Queen? 
Uh, well, we, we didn't actually get the Buckingham Palace. So what, what happened when I was playing it, um, a, a few of the guys, I think, got the Buckingham Palace because the test match, the Lord's test match was over. But I think it was the third or fourth day of, of the Lord's test match, the the Queen would come down and um, and meet the players at tea. So we'd line up and the, the Queen would come down and the entourage would come down and, um, you know, the Queen would go through and we're told what to say. Okay, so when the Queen addresses you, yes, ma'am, how are you, ma'am, whatever, uh, don't engage in conversation unless she talks to you. Um, put your hand out flat so you don't squeeze her hand. She puts your, her hand on your hand and, and all that. So it was, it was all very much... A bit like um, your first date. Oh, just regiment. What, what you could, couldn't, couldn't do. And we're, we're sitting there and the Queen was going past. I was sitting next to... I reckon it was Greg Campbell in 89. Um, the Queen goes past and we're sort of sitting there in awe of, of the Queen. And behind the Queen, P- Prince Philip goes along and meets the players too. So we're all, all sort of sitting there and the Queen goes past past me to Greg Campbell and Prince Philip comes to me and I shake his hand and didn't say too much to him. And, and Greg Campbell's just watching the Queen and Prince Philip comes up and, <coughs> and the, the bloke's sort of, uh, Mr Campbell, and Greg Campbell, oh, get on, mate, how <laughs> no idea who he was. <laughs> he just sort of sat back and thought, yeah, that's just typical. <laughs> I think Dennis Lilly asked for an autograph. He, he did, didn't he? He did. Uh, he, he got it eventually, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, was England the, the place to go, or, or of all the tours you did? Uh, I, I remember Maxie Walker telling us once that uh, the West Indies, for instance, is fantastic, but there are some areas you wouldn't bother too much about, and he broke it all up into various... Uh, various enjoyment levels of the of the different places, but uh, what's your take on all that? What 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 was the one place you'd love to go back and relive those days again? Oh, England! Um, as I said, the history and tradition of the Ashes series. You get over to England. Uh, there's no food barrier. There's no <clears throat> language barrier. Um, you understand fully what's going on. Where uh, probably India, Pakistan, you're a little bit restrict- restricted, and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, for that matter, restricted what you can and can't do. Uh, South Africa is an interesting place um, to get over there and be able to go out on those game reserves. There's something special. Um, and the, the cricket's always tough over there. And New Zealand, uh, i got to tell you, New Zealand's a, a good place to tour. Um, and I'm hosting tour groups now. I love getting over to New Zealand because we always organise a, a trout fishing trip. And the, and the trout are bloody good in New Zealand, so it's good fun going there. But certainly as a player, if, if I had a choice to go back to, to anywhere, it would be England. Now, Merv, upon retirement, you became an author, put out a number oh, of books. Yeah, well, I doubled a bit before I retired too, Sam, so I, I had a, uh, a goal in life to write as many books as Maxie Walker, but I uh, fell well short. <laughs> but you wrote some very interesting articles, you know, they're very much keepsakes, and one of them, of course, is uh, the best sporting sledges. Now, <laughs> tell, yeah. me, tell me the one well, with Javid me and Dad. Uh, I, I didn't actually write that book. I actually got them together and, and, and oh, I suppose, just... Um, Compiled. Sticky, sticky take them in a book, Sam. But basically what I did, I, I tried to research who said what and basically if I couldn't find the original person, I, I just put a name of a mate on it. So it would make him sound good. But, um, <laughs> yeah, sledging and, and sporting insults, that's always a good one. And, and the one you refer to, Jarvid, me and Dad, um, got stuck into me in Adelaide for being a um, too fat to play cricket. I should have been a bus driver. 
Um, so this this goes on for a couple of overs, and um, ultimately when when I got him out, I just ran past him, flicked my hand out the side, and said, "Tickets, please, Jarvin." Um, <laughs> so yeah, mate, you have a bit of fun with it, and and a, a lot of the sledging is, is misunderstood by the general public and people that don't play sport is that. If it's if it's something that can make your teammates laugh, then then you've had a win. But now, a lot of the sledging, you must confess, they say to this day, Steve Waugh could have been, was very very venomous and had a fair content of fair malicious content. Yeah, he, he comes across like he's he's tough and he's hard, um, and he yeah he, he didn't miss too many along the way. Um, but I suppose that that too was a sign of the times because Alan bought it. Um, was was pretty pretty good on it too. Ian Healy behind the stumps, like we keepers always got a fair bit to say, haven't they? So, mate, we can't we can't really have a go at Tim Payne about about um, having a go during this test match because if a keeper doesn't have a go, I, I think most people get very disappointed. Let, let's go to the whacker now in uh, 88, 89 and your hat trick, and it was an unusual hat trick. It was over, I think. Three three overs in two days. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people question that and say, "How do you do that?" And what was it like being on a hat trick? And well, Sam, you, you probably understand this that a lot of people don't don't think highly of the intelligence of fast bowlers. Uh, we're, we're rated as, as pretty dumb. And people say to me, "What was it like being on a hat trick?" And you say, "Well, I didn't know." And people look at you, and you can see it in their eyes. I mean, how dumb are you? It's three wickets in three balls, but. Um, <laughs> The, first, the end of the first innings happened in a row, so I got a wicket with the last ball of an over. Tim May bowled the next over, got a wicket, and then I bowled a ball, my, my first ball the next over that got a wicket. So Tim May getting the wicket sort of threw things out a bit. And when we come out to, to about after um, Steve Waugh got a 96, and I think um, Graham Wood got about 120, we went out to, to bowl after Jeff Lawson had been hit. Um, so we, were, we declared it at eight down, and um, you know, we're about 50, 60 runs behind. It was late on the third day, so we had about 20 minutes to bowl. And, and that, that time of day, you're pretty pumped up anyway, but when Jeff Lawson had been hit, mate, the adrenaline was, was really flowing then, and um, you, you, all the boys were just really pumped up. And we go out, we get Gordon Greenwich out first ball. And Ooh. I'm just thinking, happy days. And everyone said I carried on like a poor job because uh, I, I got um, the hat-trick. I had no idea I was on a hat-trick. It was more the situation of the game. <laughs> when Richie Richardson comes out, I think I'm on a hat-trick here because I, I can remember the, the week at the last ball and bowled it outside off stump. And I'm claiming playing this. I reckon he played inside it, but I'm claiming playing this. Um, and that, that was it. At the end of my over, I go down to fine leg. Now, this is how well I found out that I got a hat-trick. After Tony Dottomate bowled his over, <laughs> Steve Waugh came down from slip and said, oh, big fella, I think you got a hat-trick. No, no, I needed Richie Richie. He said, no, no, listen to this. And he went through it. So your last ball, your second last over, your first ball, the next over, and, and that, no, nah, no. Nah. He said, no, no, pretty sure. And I said, what makes you so sure? He said, oh, we just heard it on the PA system. So, <laughs> so no, no one, I don't think anyone in the team realised I was on a hat-trick, Picked to be up. honest. And it was more the situation of the game that provoked the, the, mm. the outburst and probably looked back at, at the send-off I've gave, I, I gave Gordon Granny's. If you want to see the biggest send-off any batsman's ever copped in Test cricket, <laughs> Google that. But you look at that and, and just think, mate, I was fired up and but it was unfair on, on Gordon Greenwich. And, mate, he, he was a great player and never spoke to him um, or ne he never spoke to me for, I reckon, four years, five years. But 
as soon as he retired from, from Test Cricket, mate, we played a testimonial game in, in the UK and he, he was fantastic. So it was interesting how um, when you're playing against each other, things are a little bit different. But as soon as he retired, mate, he's, you find out he's one of the best blokes on earth. Merv, I want to ask you about two relationships. Yep. One is uh, you're the darling of Bay 13 in the Mexican wave. You just had a great rapport with that entire 20, 30,000 or whatever fits in there. Oh, and the Merv Hughes. Yeah, the Merv, yeah, the Merv Hughes. <laughs> you had yeah, the... Uh, um, Sammy, yeah. to, to be honest, I think any Victorian that, that field in front of Bay 13 got the, got the crowd support. But the support that we got as Victorians in the Australian team um, at the MCG was phenomenal. And you, you talk about this within in the team, and Steve Waugh and, and Mark Waugh talk about SCG. You know, the support they got there and the Queenslanders talk about the support they get at the Gabba. And when you think the MCG holds uh, twice as many people, um, the support that we got as Victorians was, was double anything that anyone else could get. So, mate, to, to play Test Cricket, the MCG was special. To play Test Cricket um, as a Victorian in the Australian side was very special at the MCG. The support we got, I, I cannot thank the, the supporters and the punters enough for, for what they gave us. And the other one was a really surprising one for me because I know you as the charming, laconic, you know, prankster that you are. You know, you got a strong social conscience. You're a good Aussie, fair, impartial. Was your relationship with Dean Jones? Yeah, I, not good. I couldn't believe that you would hold a grudge. I don't Look, I don't know the events that transpired, but I could imagine whatever they were, it's obviously grates very heavily on you. But uh, I would have thought uh, over a long period of time, you're very close mates. You, you know, you almost live together. Uh, you're great Victorians. You'd, and it soured so badly. It must have been upsetting on all fronts for you when... Uh, mate, to, to be honest, um, the, you have your reasons. Like, and, and I dare say that not everyone at, at North Melbourne you play as you got on with. Now, I... When I played cricket, um, I got on with every teammate. And then um, we'll have to have a beer and have a talk about this because I'd, I'd rather not bring this up in the no, public no, forum. No, I understand. There, there were reasons for, for the split. Um, and I, I'm not saying that you know, my reasons were, were right, but, mate, I, I had reasons for it. And um, when you get let down by someone who, who you think you can trust, um, it, it's very, very disappointing. No, leave it at that. I understand. I just thought I had to bring it up to balance because I... Uh, yeah, no, all good. All I think good. the whole no, of Australian cricket... away from the fact. Yeah. Very sad. Obviously, the passing of Dino earlier this year, 59, um, two kids. Shocking. Uh, you, you don't want to see that happen to anyone. And um, as a former teammate, um, certainly um, very, very sad. But uh, in, in that time, you, you think of his family and, and you feel very sorry for them. Let's go back to another facet of your uh, career, uh, uh, cricket career, uh, Merv, and that is as an Australian selector. And uh, you're fortunate, I guess, in having something in the order of five million co-selectors, because uh, everybody knows who should be in the team. Um, so uh, what's the process? I mean, do you really get much of a say, or, or do others down the track pretty well have the team organised in their own mind and... You're there no, to back them up. When, when you're appointed as a selector, it, it's like being appointed as a player, isn't it? So as a selector, you pick the player to do a job. Um, as a selector, you're, you're being picked to do a job. Um, and and I, I was quite amazed that 
the first meeting that you go to, you have as much input as the other three selectors. And I, I started off with Trevor Haynes, Alan Border and, and David Byrne. Um, and, and they're guys that I played a lot of cricket with. So I, I knew them. I was pretty comfortable with them. And, um, and probably, you know, if they were talking about a player and, and you weren't saying much, what, what do you think about this guy? You've, you've seen him play a couple of times. Is he capable? Is he... So, you know, if you weren't weren't saying much, they, they brought you into the conversation. And there's, there's no selector that has um, any more say than any other. Uh, we rely heavily, and, and I'd imagine it's, it's still the case that you rely very heavily on the on the captain's view. Um, it's, it's not often the, the captain doesn't get what he wants. And I think in my five years... As, as a selector, I reckon it was only once or twice that the captain didn't get what he wanted. Um, so, yeah, so the, the coach, the captain, and, and if there's a 50-50 um, a selection between two players, you are senior players within the team. So you know, at that time, you had when I was selecting, you had Adam Gilchrist, who was vice-captain. Um, and, and if I was selector on duty, I, I used to spend a lot of time talking to him about um, about players and, and Michael Clark was was coming through and developing and I, I think he's always recognised as going to be Australia's next captain so the, the senior players within the group um, you have a talk to about um, their thoughts and then uh, relay that back to the selectors but yeah there, there's not too many times that the selectors get it wrong if someone gets dropped they, they get dropped for a reason and normally as a selector if I went to a player and said Mate, I've got to have a talk to you. They knew what was coming because they, they knew their performances weren't up. So, mate, you, you're just delivering what they already know. But um, you know, it's it is it is a hard job. And you know, when you when you jump on the panel, like you said before, I, I thought there was only four Australian selectors when I got appointed. But it turns out there's about 24 million, and and everyone wants to have a say. But what people have got to understand, Leon, is that if someone comes into the team, someone has to get dropped. So Phil Jakes, for instance, was a, a good one where for years people say he should be in the team. And you look at him and say, well, who do we drop, Justin Langer or Matthew Hayden? Oh, well, you're the selector, make a decision. <laughs> well, mate, <laughs> mate, we have made a decision. Good luck. And Justin Langer and Matthew Hayden are going to be playing. Sport and Life with Sam Kankovic and Leon Wigan. Our guest has been Merv Hughes. Merv, it's been marvellous having you and we look forward to having a beer with you soon. And uh, all power to you and we'll catch you real soon. Okay, Sammy, Leon, thanks very much, guys. Thanks, mate. You're a superstar, Murphy. Cheers, Sammy. See you, mate.